0: I mean the world is such a shit show that I don't you know there's so many things we could talk about. It is if you pay attention. Yeah, um, I try not to. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maya Grant. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. and this is the sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. In this
1: episode, we are going to ruin Will Smith. Oh my God, but we did it months I mean, ago. This is an old episode. Know, the timing it's not what you think. The timing listeners. is confusing. It's, not it's really think. not what you
0: think. It's not what you think. Okay, to explain. <laughs> this episode
1: is actually not about Will Smith per se. This episode is about the movie King Richard, for which he just won an Oscar, Best Actor Oscar for his performance in that film. Um, we recorded this months ago. Oh my God, months. It was in November, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, We didn't post it at the time for various reasons we don't need to get into, and we've been meaning to share it with you for a while, so (laughs) what better time
0: than now? (laughs) Oh, good Lord. So for any of you who have been living under a very large rock, uh, Will Smith won the Academy Award for playing Venus and Serena Williams' father, Richard Williams. Uh, He also, there was a bit of a kerfuffle uh, that... Chris Rock made a joke. A kerfuffle. kerfuffle. It is a kerfuffle. Chris Rock made a joke uh, as he does. And it was a <laughs> joke pointed at uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, Will's wife. And Will Smith got up and, in the middle of the live telecast, uh, slapped him across the face and yes. then had to accept an award just a little bit later. And it's been a very big drama. A lot of things. There have been a lot of things.
1: Yes, a lot of people talking about this very exciting and unexpected incident on live television. <laughs> One celebrity straight up slapping another.
0: Cross face. And there are a lot of reasons why we don't really have much to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is definitely a case where uh,
1: it's it's probably best for us not to comment very much as there are so many layers of issues involved in what's going on.
0: And we'd like to even just quote a tweet from one of our favorite recurring guests, the great political writer Caitlin Bird, who tweeted, in this situation, you have two ultra-famous Black celebrities out of the hood, Black women's hair, Black uh, in parens toxic masculinity, honor and defense politics among Black culture. Y'all know less ab- then nothing about all of this, please stop talking.
1: <laughs> so I, I think that's totally fair, uh, especially as, yeah, the joke was about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's hair, uh, her having none specifically, which I did not know. But apparently she has alopecia and she's been really open about it and is really like trying to inform people about it. And um, help other women, especially black women who are struggling with alopecia, to not feel so alone. And it's great. She's just going out there with her head shaved. And she looks fucking fantastic. Oh,
0: God. We should all be so lucky.
1: I literally, I have to say, I knew nothing about the alopecia. and, and None of this had happened yet. But the other night as I was watching the Oscars, I was just looking at Twitter and Variety or some account was posting just pictures, red carpet pictures. And they were like, here's Jada Pinkett and Will Smith on the red carpet and I literally said wow <laughs> out loud <laughs> like her gown her look she looked so oh, fantastic she's
0: she's exquisitely gorgeous and the bitch doesn't age which is frustrating yeah. she just like she has two grown children anyway it's yeah, you know it's, look some look, of us
1: what but there's a thing where people are very wealthy and they don't age and that's
0: yeah it's fine <laughs> I don't know you know we'll find their plastic surgeon I can't afford them but here's the thing I I think the thing that I found interesting about it, or the only thing that I think we could contribute to the discourse around it, is I think when we get so used to almost living in the celebrity bubble that celebrities create, that when something breaks that bubble, And we see them as the people that they are or might be in private. We've spoken about this before, about the grid of the individual versus the grid of the hundred million. Mm -hmm. I think often we live in the grid of the hundred million. And I think particularly with somebody like Will Smith, who is one of a handful of celebrities whose entire career at this point, his self-image, every role he plays, his hand is very firmly on. There are very few people like this. I think Robin Williams had a big uh, stint at that where every role he played was sort of part of this bigger character that he creates, Tom Cruise, very much so. These aren't people who are going to be in other people's movies. These are people who are making this mythos for themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. So when that breaks in some way, It's very shocking, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing here is that the the precision of image management that celebrities do, the extent to which the outfits they wear to go out and pick up a cup of coffee are given to them so that they are paid for it, the the constantness, the hermetically sealed vacuum tube of celebrity existence that we then consume – Yes. Is so complete that when it breaks and anything is unscripted in such a way, it is shocking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And especially in the context of something like the Oscars. The Oscars telecast could not Mm. be a more scripted event and more predictable and, frankly, dull, as everyone knows. Yes. So that also contributed, I think, a lot to... What was ultimately a pretty minor kerfuffle, as you said, Um, and, and Chris Rock seemed taken aback, but not super upset about it in the moment and laughed it off, which was again, I mean, that's, it's happening on television in front of an audience of However many millions. So he's making a decision about how to present himself in that moment as well.
0: Well, also because he was about to give the best documentary award, which went to Quest Love Summer of Soul. Oh, I knew and, and, so bad for Quest And Summer of Soul is just like <laughs> it's so I got to see it at the uh, at the New Beverly. I yeah. got to see it, a 35 millimeter print that they made of it to show at the new mm. Beverly and Questlove was there doing a Q and A afterwards. And everybody had said to me, cause I was like, Oh, whatever. It's a music documentary. Meh. And like, everybody's like, no, you don't understand. And it, and it, I was completely there. I mean, I was sobbing during that movie. It was so unbelievable. And then to have that, and even apparently Chris Rock had said to a musician friend of his, like, I get to present Best Documentary. God, I hope I get to give it to Questlove. And it's like, yeah, it's it's a bummer to have <laughs> that moment overshadowed because it is such an important right, uh, right. document.
1: It is. And I, yeah, again, I feel terrible for Questlove because that was his moment and- in- Man, was it overshadowed. And even in the after parties and in the interviews, people are asking him about his reaction to the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. You know, they're not asking him about the film or anything like that. And it's a shame, though, I think for audiences, generally speaking, they're a lot more interested in what seems to be a moment of genuine emotion and genuine conflict between two people uh, than you in seeing Hollywood award itself, congratulate itself, even for something as great as,
0: as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that moment, yeah, that moment, I think especially in this, uh, in this incredibly, increasingly curated ubiquitously curated world where even people's self presentation on social media is so constantly curated.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, I think the times for these, quote genuine moments and I think that that's why people like are so we've talked about this before it's like they're so watching sports any live event anything can that can feel like it's actually happening and something like that feels like it's actually happening
1: yeah okay um shall we just play the episode I think we should just play the episode but yes we recorded this in November guys <laughs> yes. so this episode you're about to hear from back in November of 2021 is our reaction to the film, King Richard, starring Will Smith. At the time we recorded this, we did not know if he would even be nominated, if the film would be nominated. Oh, so come on. Had we had Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we certainly didn't know for sure that he was going to win, but we had a lot of thoughts about the film and his Will Smithness in it. So, uh... Let's just let the listeners hear what we had to say. So we are going to be talking about the movie King Richard, starring Will Smith in an Oscar-baiting turn for the ages. Yeah. Maya... Thank you for seeing this movie. Would you have watched it at all if I hadn't forced you to for
0: this episode? Well, I have to say, so my husband grew up playing tennis, and we have recently joined a tennis club. Oh, yes, you've mentioned. So there's been some some interest, I think, of a lot of people at this club in seeing this movie. And so I thought, oh, yeah, why the hell not? Like, sure. And uh Yeah, we're going to have to get to all of the ways in which it was so problematic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to get into, and we will get to that. Yes. Okay, King Richard, starring Will Smith. It's a biographical picture, and it's also a sports movie, and it's exactly everything in a movie that I would never want to go see of my own accord. When I first saw the trailer, I was like, I have no interest in seeing this movie. I do not even understand why this movie exists. But my sister was in the tri-state area for Thanksgiving, and she texted me and was like, do you want to go see a movie on Saturday? And I was like, sure, of course. And it turned out that this was the movie.
0: Well, well, first of all, can I congratulate you on the fact that your sister was in, t- in the tri-state area for Thanksgiving and you still managed to avoid having Thanksgiving? With your family.
1: Oh, yes. Well
0: done. Thank well you. Well done. Thank you. Very.
1: It actually was really great. My sister was in New Jersey with her uh, in-laws, her at her father-in-law's place. And he would have been more than happy to have me and Matt. You know, we're always invited. But we were planning to go up to Connecticut to Matt's mom's place. And it was only at the very last moment that we decided not to. So we just kind of slipped out of it. And it was really great. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was perfect. So my sister and her kids, her whole family, they're very sportsy people. They love the sports. They play the sports. They watch the sports. They like the movies about the sports. So I wasn't surprised at all that they would want to see this. Also, my sister, Devorah, really likes kind of schmaltzy, sentimental movies like this. So this is basically the perfect movie for her and for them. I went into it thinking... I'm just going to try not to visibly roll my eyes too often because they paid for the tickets and I did not want to be rude. And it was in one of those theaters that has those reclining seats. They go all the way back. I'd never really actually been in one of those before.
0: Oh, those are nice. Oh, It's
1: amazing. They go all the way back.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge fan. Huge fan.
1: Here's the one credit I can give to that movie. I did not fall asleep. It It kept my attention. I was paying attention and watching the movie the entire time, despite reclining so comfortably. And it was well over two hours. It was like over two and a half hours. Yet I did not fall asleep the entire time. So that's about the best thing I can say about that movie. I mean... Also, I thought Will Smith's dialect was very good.
0: Okay... You know, It it sounded like
1: he had worked with a dialect coach. It wasn't just like a Forrest Gump, this is what I think this accent sounds like off the top of my head.
0: Okay. Soraya Nadia McDonald wrote a beautiful essay on uh, how awful (laughs) the movie is and how (laughs) Will Smith should not have played that role. It would have been a much better movie if they had had like a real character actor take that role. And she says uh, that King Richard tries so hard – I'm quoting uh, her – Quote, King Richard tries so hard to showcase Richard Williams as a non-threatening, well-meaning person that Smith, in his efforts to capture Williams' fairly standard black, rural Louisiana accent, often lands somewhere between Bagger Vance Light and Uncle Ruckus.
1: Okay, that is the way he comes across to her, which I appreciate. But I'm just saying... Look, I'm no expert on this. I'm not a dialect expert, but I have watched several YouTube videos, some very lengthy. And I just happen to notice little things like um, the dropping of the R, like an old timey Brooklyn accent would, where work becomes woik. That is only in certain very specific Louisiana dialects. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of thing that someone would just come up with without totally. the help of a
0: dialect coach. What I was surprised about was how he could command that dialect and still not be not Will Smith. Like Mm. he can't, he's He's just Will Will Smith. It's always Will Smith in a dialect. He did not, he can't transform, he could not not be Will Smith, which I thought was, which I think a lot of what McDonald's essay gets into, it's like, He's Will Smith with all of the the various baggage and associations that has. He's not able to transform, and so we're always in the Will Smithness of it, which I found problematic. But I think that what it comes to, and this is, I think, the first big difficult part of it, is that it is really hard for people to tell their own stories, because in order to tell your own story, you always have a dog in that fight. You can't step back from the story. You can't see, or it takes a rare person to be able to see themselves or see their life in ways that are complicated, in ways that are rich and troubled. And I actually really enjoyed, I was rereading David Foster Wallace's Essays on Tennis, and there was one I'd never read where he writes, and I think this is, it's very relevant to what we're talking about. He writes about Tracy Austin, who was this big, uh, young tennis player in the 80s. And he writes about her execrable memoir. (laughs) And the whole point of the essay is why are sports memoirs always so bad, but why can I not keep myself from buying them all the time? And it's all about how he wants this to be a story about the career that he knows about, which is full of tragedy and, and agony and 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 that her early success was so powerful, it kind of killed her career later and how she is completely incapable of seeing her story. It, how the language is so banal, like there's no insight, there's nothing. In one part in particular, he talks about how she tells the story about an older guy at her tennis club who would, when she was a young teen, make money off of her by having her beat his friends. And then he gives her this diamond studded necklace, like brooch that says like T studded with diamonds. And as a grown woman, she has no capacity to see that this is kind of gross. (laughs) Like she has no, (laughs) like there is no insight to seeing herself at all And I felt that so much with this movie.
1: Okay, so to be clear, this movie was produced, or co-produced at least, by the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena. Uh, They didn't write it or direct it, but they were very much involved in the production of the movie. And it's not them telling their own story per se, it's them trying to tell their father's story, which is part of their story and comes from their experience, They're telling a story that I'm sure feels true to them. They're telling of their own lives and experiences, but they're also clearly trying to rehabilitate their father's image. Yes. Arguably, Richard Williams has been very ill-treated by the press, by the media, and there's a lot of issues around race and class and other issues wrapped up in that. And from what I understand, he has received a very specific kind of media coverage. I'm not really qualified to comment on it as I don't really follow sports, uh particularly tennis that much. But as someone who like barely follows it at all and I'm just sort of generally culturally literate, I knew about him. I've known about him and I'm aware of this sort of persona, this media image that Richard Williams has. And so they wanted to show a different side of him, which is totally understandable, it just doesn't
0: necessarily make for a good movie. No, it does not. And actually, at the end, they show all of this documentary footage and you're like, you know, this would have actually been a killer documentary. Right. If you if you have this character of Richard Williams that they are trying to undermine the public perception of what it was like for a man like that with daughters like this to come in and take over the whiteness of tennis. If you use documentary footage and you get into what the media did to him at the time, how they talked about him, how they read him, how they interpreted him, that could have been an awesome documentary.
1: And the reason for that is that that kind of documentary at its best is an exploration. It's not trying to give you answers. It's more like looking at different perspectives, sharing different perspectives, and allowing the viewer to draw conclusions. It's sort of like opening up a discussion. A a fiction film, on the other hand, I mean, a fiction film can do that. Some very good ones do. But this type of movie, like a, a biopic that's about a person's life, is more often kind of a psychological profile. It's a deep dive into that person's psyche, and, um, and an attempt to understand it, but it involves an element of interpretation to help us see what motivated this person, what deep down inside drove them. And biographical pictures often have problems because a person's life doesn't follow a three-act structure. So the filmmakers are forced to take real-life events and try to get them to conform to a dramatic structure that works in a movie and has, you know, rising action and tension and uh, character growth and payoff, climax, and all that stuff. And you, I think, you see some of that here. Mm-hmm. You see it as a problem here because, um, for example, they try to incorporate real life events that real life events that people are familiar with and will remember, like, uh, for example. There's the one scene where uh, Venus is doing a television interview and the interviewer keeps pressing her on why she's so confident and won't let it go. And then then, um, uh, Richard interrupts the interview and tells off the reporter. And this is something that really happened and people remember it. They saw it. And so it's understandable the filmmakers would feel like they need to incorporate that and other moments in this story that we all know that we all saw play out in the media. But then they have to create a coherent drama in the spaces between that. And I don't I don't know if it's that there isn't enough space, but maybe it's that they're not using they didn't use that space effectively. No,
0: they don't. And then the ways in which his story in the moment he could have so easily failed because so many parents who see talent in their children and drive them fail. So there are real stakes to what he was doing, but because we know the outcome, which is that these women go on to be the most dominant women tennis players of all time with a warm a seeming relationship that they are not fucked up like other athletes, or if they are fucked up, it's not in the ways that we see in other athletes. There's there doesn't seem to be any drugs and you know this and surus. like, and they they're still playing at a wildly high level. Like Venus is still playing at a crazy high level. Um, we know that. So it ends up seeming like all of his decisions, some of which are capricious and weird, and some of which are changing his mind. He seems to want one thing and then he goes to another thing. And this, because we know how it turns out, and because these women know how it turns out, the idea that it might've gone another way and that he didn't always know what was best and that he was making decisions kind of on the fly and that it wasn't all from this knowing. And they make it seem like he just, the major plan, the master plan, any idea that he might have been growing and learning and figuring out and having regrets along the way, there is none of that there. So it has no stakes. There's no tension. There's no real conflict.
1: I agree. It's very difficult to create a story that has a sense of real stakes and tension when we know the outcome we know exactly how this is going to turn out for Venus and Serena and for Richard. So how do you, how do you maintain that feeling of tension when there are no meaningful stakes because we know the outcome, because we know that everything turns out okay. Uh, I felt like there could have been tension there despite that challenge. Uh, For example, in the scenes uh, involving white people and how white people receive them, and the satisfaction of them proving themselves despite people's skepticism and doubts, I felt like the movie didn't really realize those moments where um, I wanted to see—I uh, wanted to see you know the white coaches and the other players and parents and families at the tournaments sort of look at them askance, doubt them. And then have that great feeling of satisfaction where it's like, uh-huh, look what they can do. I It was there a little bit, but I thought it was largely missing.
0: And you know what else wasn't there in that is that he clearly wants his daughters to have resources. But once they get those resources... He's like, oh, they don't need those resources. And the movie kind of says that too. And so the tension between the resources that they need, that he is not able to provide, and the idea that he's some omniscient seer who just always makes the right decisions always, like they can't kind of square that. Like there are resources. They needed those resources. And they know that. But then when they get them, it's like, no, we don't need these resources at all. But you do because there are things you can't do. So the acknowledgement from him that there were things that these other people like that he needed from them. its like
1: to, to be fair, I think the movie is actually trying to be, if not unflinching, then honest and kind of like warts and all view. It's trying to give him flaws to show that he was stubborn that he didn't listen to other people, that he was controlling, uh, refused to take input, thought he knew everything, and then giving him an opportunity to have an arc where he works through those issues and grows. Uh -uh. No, no, the movie, I think it is very clear in what it's trying to do. Um, By the way, spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie, we are going to get into what happens all through it.
0: Spoilers if you've been like alive. If
1: you've been living under a rock, (laughs) we are going to give away what happens to Venus and Serena (laughs) Williams in their careers. So there is a scene near the end of the second act, basically about two hours into the movie Where, uh, is structurally speaking, this is the moment when things have gone badly for the character and they need someone to speak truth to them so that they can see their error and re-energize themselves to go into the third act. And in this scene, the wife dresses him down and tells him all about how he has been not giving enough credit to everyone else in his life, been too controlling, been making it about himself. And, um... And the implication is that he, this plan, these things that he's been doing that are supposedly part of his big plan, a lot of them have actually just been cover-ups for his own insecurities and fears. And he admits that when he allows Venus to play her first professional match, when he gives in and lets her play, and he tells her that this has really been about his fears about not being able to protect her. So the movie is absolutely sh- trying to show that right. the people around him are um confused by his actions. They're even hurt by them. They don't understand um he he is he has gone too far in not listening to other people and thinking he can do he knows everything. The point is that there is a genuine attempt to be frank and show him with all his flaws, but to show that he's really fundamentally still a good person and a loving father. The problem is that it's not its not really a psychological profile. It never really does delve and help you understand him better. You don't really get a sense of his internal world and what's really going on with him psychologically.
0: That's which I have to say. So again, from McDonald's essay, uh, there were two, it's such a good read. We'll put the link up. It's so good. But she talks about how like the script does not provide him with an interior life so much as a sequence of events to which he reacts and she talks about how the Muhammad Ali biopic that Smith did does a better job of rounding out a complex sports figure whose outward puffed-up arrogance and radical self-love often served as a response to and defense mechanism against American racism. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I I
1: I want to I want to get into some of these issues about race, racism. Uh, and how they play into the story, maybe we'll do that in the next segment. There's so much potential there in this story to explore what it means for him to be coming from the background he's coming from and trying to work his way into this like ultra-elite, wealthy, privileged, white enclave that is tennis, and encountering not only the pushback that he gets, but also maybe finding that once he gets
0: there, he doesn't like what he's seeing. He doesn't yes! want to be part of it. Yes, and also that, having introduced his daughters into it, these these young women are going to have opinions too, and they are so not present as characters. And I understand they want to make that the movie about him, but part of that is the tension of these young women for Venus and Serena to be the champions they are. And they're not just physically dominant, they're brilliant. And you can tell the intelligence of their family, the intelligence of their stepsisters. Their mother is a very brilliant woman who had these, these very talented daughters. You don't think that a house full of six women who are coming up through their teenage years are not going to come into conflict with their father or have opinions or see his flaws or be embarrassed by it or like Mm. any of the things that just happen in a family, in any family, in 100% of all families. It's just like, come on.
1: Yeah. It's very much minimized. There's a There is a little bit of conflict in the family. There is so
0: much fear that that's going to become the dominant thing that people remember, that they back away from all of it. And by doing that, by backing off of that, they actually do the opposite of what they wanted to do. By being so afraid of touching that, they're so afraid that if you see any tension between the family, you're not going to understand this as a loving, mutually loyal family and it's like, actually, no, the loyalty of a family is in how much you guys can, like, have a conflict and get through it. Like, and that and they don't trust that at all, at all, at it's all. It's
1: true, they don't. And and maybe it's because they wanted to make sure the movie was about him and not the girls. But the girls are like blank slates. I mean, the actresses are very good. Those young performers are very charismatic.
0: Oh, Uh, they leap off the screen, 100%, which which then makes it so... frustrating. frustrating It's so frustrating. frustrating.
1: Yeah, no, even things that aren't necessarily about the girls, you just want to know more. It doesn't have to totally be focused on them, but you don't even know things like how they were trained. I I think that could have been really interesting. When we come into the movie, they're already ready to start the junior circuit and dominate, all you know about what he's done, though, is like he's taken them to the tennis court every day. They've played in the rain. He's told them to widen their stance and told them to believe in themselves. You don't really get any detail about what he did that has made them so good up until
0: this point. But also, he he had this plan, but he got really lucky because not every child that he would have had could have had that. So what happens? What about the moment where... His plan that he had before they were even born seems like it could come to fruition. Like, that's a powerful, mystical, fucking crazy-ass moment. Or when the mom first kind of buys in. Because she also, the, the actress who played her, was like, amazing. Like, why doesn't she get to... Like, they have one scene where she finally t- breaks it down. But by that point, you haven't seen any of those things that she's been talking about. Right? Yeah.
1: She's been holding all this shit, but there hasn't. But so even... is the
0: movie. <laughs> yeah. The movie has been holding all this yes, shit.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And in fact, in that scene, she reveals that uh, there's these other failed businesses he had before any of this started. And, this is two hours into the movie. This is the end of the second act. And it's the first time you're finding out about this. And you're like, wait a minute, this whole movie, I've been sitting here two hours watching this movie about this man's persistence, about how he teaches his daughters, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. He has a plan and he's going to follow through. And that's what's going to lead to their success. And the way you make something happen is you believe it's going to happen. So, okay, there can't be a moment where he realizes this is going to happen because he always knew it. That's how he was successful, because he really believed in his plan. Okay, fine. But now all of a sudden we're finding out that there were these abandoned businesses and it turns out several abandoned children. Yeah, a whole
0: marriage. Yeah. F- a, fi- a marriage with and with and that produced five children that he completely abandoned. Yeah,
1: and he, and he had nothing to do with them. He was not part of their lives at all. So, so you're like, okay, wow, I've been sitting here for like two hours watching this movie about this guy who's all about family. He's all about his kids. Everything in his life is geared toward his kids and doing right by them and giving them a chance in life. But before this marriage and these girls, that was not his story at all. Who Who is this person? We've been watching him for like
0: more than two hours, and we don't even know... Who this person is. But also, who is his... What is his marriage? Like, what does it do for a marriage to support somebody through their failures but still believe in them? Like, that's that could have been a great story. Fuck. That would have mm. been a great story. Yeah. But because it's about rehabilitating this man, all of those other things, like, if you want to rehabilitate him, you have to acknowledge those things. And, and I think that's an, could have been an even more powerful story. Definitely. That you can fail, that you can fail on the deepest level as a dad and then come back and be and have a second chance to do this. Like that's a story. Yeah, absolutely. But none of that is
1: there. Where, where is any of it? Where is, his guilt about the previous marriage and children that he failed? Did he learn something from all those failed businesses? Or does this one just is it only successful just by some sheer luck? Or
0: and it and it happened to work not just by pure luck, but by the great talent and support of this group of women in his life who are not just like who are not just his wife, but her children that he adopts and their children together, that that's what saved him. Wow, what a story that could have been, like, and and so I feel like, I know why they avoided all of these stories, and it's because they know what the world wanted to turn him into, and it's because of race and politics, and so they were so afraid of anything that could be, mm, that they ran away from all of it, so, then how did they deal with race? Like, I think we have to get into that.
1: Okay, before we talk about race and politics in this movie, I think there are some really big caveats that we have to address. This is a story in large part being told by Venus and Serena. And also the director is a Black director. So I assume everything they're saying comes from a place of them talking honestly about their own experiences, their real lives and their perceptions of the world. And I am not here to tell them that they're wrong. Like, I cannot comment on how Venus or Serena or Richard Williams or any other African-American person involved in this project or anywhere else (laughs) sees race in this story. I can't comment on
0: that. and, And in the same... Way I also acknowledge that we are probably not their target audience. Well, that's the thing, though. Who is their In target the same, audience? Who's their target audience? I think the target audience are like white people who want to see an inspirational sports movie. Yeah. Who they want to say, like, "Yeah, hey, it's fuck my sister up. and her husband yes, and her kids." Correct. And people who probably were looking at Richard Williams and being total fucking racist dicks about it twenty years ago.
1: Right. People who were very put off by him. Yeah. This movie is for white America, right? So I can't comment, we can't comment on how Venus and Serena see race as part of their father's story or their own story. That is their story to tell. But I feel like we can comment on how white people
0: might receive this movie. Well, but I I don't just think that. I feel like... The juiciness of the story in some of my favorite moments of this whole movie, like both the sight of some of my favorite parts and the sight of some of the biggest missed opportunities, is what happens when all of a sudden they have access to this privileged white world and they see how fucking fucked up and grotesque it is. The finest scene in the whole movie, to me, is when Venus starts playing the junior circuit. She's whipping butt right and left, coming in confident, joyous, gorgeous, killing it. And Richard watches all of these white girls losing being like you're so stupid like yeah. talking to themselves and berating and the themselves. mom berating themselves <laughs> and the mom walking her child out being like it doesn't even seem like you want to play and like yeah. so okay <laughs> so i have to tell you
1: when that moment when that moment happened in the movie my my whole my sister and her whole family cracked up everyone goes and turns to my sister and are like oh my god it's you. you it's totally you right but it was not so, supposed to be a
0: laugh line but I feel like that's the place where I feel like there seems to be this tension where he wants them to have these like resources. Like they are so talented. I've taken them as far as I can go. There are resources that they need to go to the next level. And yet he very quickly also was like, but they don't need it. And it's like, well, but clearly they need. It. And, and so I feel like it didn't set up in him the tension between knowing they need these resources and finding this whole world fucked up and grotesque. Like, it hints at it, but then in every moment of decision, I feel like it could have done such a better job of, of if you're going to see this white world from a black perspective, see how fucked up it is, like, give me even more of that. go there. Give me, go there. Go all the way there.
1: And and they don't have to hammer you over the head with it, but those connections they're not there so it's like unexplained why he pulls them out of the junior circuit to me it seemed like bizarre and here here's where I want to get into the plot structure because I think if you look at the structure of the plot it makes it even worse the the lack of um, the sort of psychological logic character logic there I think that would have been an amazing story like wow, this world is fucked up. These white people, the way they talk to their kids, I don't want my girls to be part of this. You could see him seeing that, see him seeing the girls being affected by it, like like something to help us understand what he's doing. But here's what the movie actually does. First of all, it follows an overall rise and fall structure, which is very typical for biography movies, right? You have the rise to success and then not not necessarily the fall from success, but like the part where they get into drugs, you know what I mean? Like, um, like the, the behind the music structure, everything is going great. And then they lose their way. And then at some point, some close friend or other important person in their life gives them a metaphorical or literal slap across the face and is like, you know, get yourself back on track. And they have some kind of rehabilitation. That's the structure that this movie basically follows. But I want to kind of break it down a little bit to get up to that point where he pulls them from the junior circuit. Because, um, first of all, the very opening of the movie, okay, starting at the beginning is him approaching these different white people at the tennis clubs, trying to market his daughters to, to them. And, you know, doing the, he's doing the hustle. Right. He's being a hustler. Right. Right. And, um... It establishes the goal. This is the goal of the movie, is to get access to this white, wealthy, privileged world of tennis. Yes. That is what he's trying to do. And in those first scenes, they reject him. They sort of smile and, you know... Laugh at him and they're like, yeah, Yeah, sure, kid. They don't don't believe him. Their, Their racism is definitely implied. But as the movie progresses moves on from that opening montage white resistance to him white racism is not the central conflict it's not the obstacle getting in the way of his goal of access to training and access to resources the thing that's actually the obstacle is like the gangsters the black compton gang members who hang out near the tennis court and harass the older daughter and then when richard tries to talk to him about it are violent with him. They beat him up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's other black people. Yes. So I found that interesting. And um, I mean, there's even a scene where, like later in the first act, uh, he Richard is talking, he's talking to another white agent or coach. And the guy very explicitly, very directly gives this monologue about structural impediments to being able to play tennis. Like, if you don't grow up with it, you're never going to be good at it. Yes. In other words, your daughters can't be good at it. Like, he's very directly, he's very directly saying, this is structural. You have a class impediment that is keeping you from being able to do this thing. But instead of addressing that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: question at all, the next scene, like, directly after that, is him getting beaten up again by those Black youths. Yes. And one of them even makes a reference to his own father and how his father was, I don't remember, but, you know, did something terrible to him, was a, was a really bad father. Like, it's very, it's very much like the problem is other black people. Yeah. And bad fathering in the black community. And you're like, I I really hope this isn't where this movie is going with this. Uh, And. Okay, then later Richard wants to kill the gangster guy, but that doesn't happen because he witnesses someone else killing him in this, like, crazy coincidental drive-by shooting. And it's, um, it really seems to be saying he almost got dragged down into the violence of Compton, but then he witnessed the consequences of that life and he was snapped back into his white aspirations. <laughs> right. And, um, and then... Immediately after that, like the next scene is they're driving into the super fancy tennis club and they they drive through the fancy neighborhood talking about which house they would want to have. And he's there. He's bringing his daughters into the enclave of white privilege. Um, it's interesting that immediately after that, he has some trouble deferring to the white coach. There's some con- there's like a little conflict there. That he's controlling it. He wants to do do the coaching his way, um, but there's not like outright racial tension about it. It's like a parent who's had control and had been the coach up until now, right? And it's it's almost like it was like it it in the moment I was like it sure seems to be saying that he's not deferring to white authority and he's going to need to learn to do that. But to be fair,
0: that's not exactly what happens. Well, in the movie. but then the ways that that's that that would be complicated okay my kids are in a situation that is not great and i want them to get out but this other world is fucked up too and i and i am tense about it i'm talking yeah, about yeah. it i'm negotiating it i see this white world and it seems grotesque to me no, like
1: no all get, That all you all you get from him in regard to the white world is aspiration Right. Up until that point. So when he is there resisting and not not deferring, it there's no basis on which you as the viewer can say, okay, this world it offends him in some way. It's grotesque to him. It's it's what he's always wanted as far as the movie has shown us.
0: Right. And he also acknowledges that he needs some of those resources to get his daughters what they need. Yes, of course. But then once they get the resources, he seems to have no ability to like god, I want them to have these resources, but everything else that comes with it is really hard. Like that's mm. that could be a tension. That could be a real tension like oh the mm. price to pay is this too high of a price to pay? Like No, no, there's like there's like mild
1: mild tension that's played for humor. Like the tension between him and the coach. But the the real dramatic tension that you're supposed to feel comes later, like after the tournament when they come home and child services is at their house. And when I was watching it, I I had my fingers crossed. I was like, please, please, please be a white parent from the junior circuit that called child services.
0: Well, but, but that's another thing is that he's after all these white parents for being these tennis parents, but he's a tennis parent. So even that ability to say, okay... Well, when you're pushing your kid to do that, like, what if your kids hadn't been as good? Like, what if they do lose? Like, Right. It, that, right or is
1: there some difference? Is, is, there, it ju- is it justified for me because I'm trying to get them out of the ghetto?
0: Or is it justified for me because they're good? Right, And right. is that kind of fucked up too? Like, it's justified because they're a great player. Like, it doesn't traffic right, in- There's none of it. None of those questions.
1: It's very clear that he disapproves of the white parents and the way they do things. And he gives this fucking impassioned speech, this like, nominate me for an Oscar, please, speech to the child services people who who are like, dude, somebody called. We are like mandated. We're just doing our job, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) We have to come investigate. (laughs) And he's giving this speech practically in tears. And it felt like, it felt weird and out of place at that moment in the movie. He's near tears and it climaxes, the whole scene climaxes with the wife marching across the street to have it out with the black neighbor. Because again, it's the black neighbors who are keeping them, or who are trying to keep them from success. And, um, and everything shifts. And this is where we're gonna get to what we started with, which is this kind of weird and apparently capricious decision to pull the girls out of Junior's competition. And the scene where everything shifts is when they're at home reading articles in the newspaper about Venus's success and they're all happy about it. And that is juxtaposed with the television in the background playing the news of the Rodney King beating. And Richard and his wife react to it in a way that suggests an awareness and concern around these issues, which they have not really talked about or exhibited so far in the movie. It hasn't come up in the movie at all in any direct way, but one of them, I can't remember which one, says something like, well, they finally, at least they finally caught them on camera. Or something like that uh, to indicate that, that, that like they are aware of this as an ongoing problem. They're aware of violence being perpetrated against the black community by white police. Like, they have not previously hinted at all that they feel any pinch of systemic racism, except to the extent that it's keeping them out of the country clubs and you know training with white coaches. Um, so that I was like, where are they going with this exactly? And it turns out to actually be a big turning point in the movie because after that he goes to meet with an agent um, and another, another agent, I don't, know, I don't know, some other white guy and he's like all belligerent with them Pushing back against them, yeah, yeah, making jokes uh, about, like, oh, you took your hoods off, that was nice of you. Like, he's suddenly very racially aware, right? When before he was kind of you know not, but
0: also, the whole point of his plan was this is a sport with no black people in it, I bet I could come in and take over this whole sport, right? So, there right. was profound racial awareness that was always underneath all of it. And the tactics for dealing with it or like that, it does seem capricious. Like it doesn't, the movie doesn't make it seem less capricious. In right. a lot of ways, it makes it seem, if, if we're trying to understand how he's trying to walk this very difficult tightrope. We're going to take over this white sport, but oh shit, that means hanging out with all these fucked up white people. But that means asking, he tells his daughters, don't eat that burger. You shouldn't, you know, take, never take anything for free. But the whole first major plot event of the movie is convincing this coach to, give to them coach them coaching. for free. Yes. So- that, that walking that tension and feeling those contradictions within himself or having other people call him on those no, contradictions. No, no one calls him on why it. why the girls no. might, the why the girls might find that confusing where you're right. like, but we have these lessons for free and we're here now. Why can't I have this burger? Like okay, that okay. been- He,
1: he wants, to, he wants to abandon them at the store because they were bragging in the car. And this causes conflict with the mom, right, who insists she makes him go back and pick them up. And he takes them home and he makes them watch Cinderella, of all things, which is, as I wrote in my undergraduate honors senior thesis. uh, No, but it's a movie that is about if you are humble and you never strive in any way for what you want, that's how you
0: get what you want you know, if, if you're a woman. If you're a woman, but, right. Even though all he's been doing is striving and for ha- for them to be like, this is complicated or for him to be like, this is complicated. But, like, but
1: also he has trained them to have confidence. He's taught them to uh, be confident. He's imbued them with that feeling of capability. When the coach asks them what their goals are or I don't remember what he asks them, but Venus and Serena are both like, oh, I'm going to win Wimbledon. I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. They have no qualms about saying that. And he does not tell them not to say that. It's believe in yourself, believe in yourself. Uh, and then it's like, well, but be humble, be humble. No one
0: calls him on that uh, apparent contradiction. And then and then because Venus and Serena are so, we know what happens to them It's like every move, even when it's capricious, ends up validated. And Mm. it ends up not being what it could have been, which is like, there is something so tense about how to negotiate those things. And I actually feel like that's a part where, for me, in the Williams sisters and the fact that it's about their dad, like when they talk about indian wells which was always the most racist fucking shitty place for them to play and they decided not to play there the ability that they have to talk about that to acknowledge it to say it to push back the mm. way that that serena talks about how like they always talk about how powerful i am but not about how smart i am yeah. and how like my strategy on the court and the way that she and venus know every player they solve everybody else's game so they can whack them on the court like that training comes obviously from somewhere right and i feel like the movie does actually a very poor job of seeing how they were trained by very sophisticated minds about walking this tightrope
1: Mm. it's like it Mm, doesn't there there really isn't a tightrope though not in the movie the tightrope is Barely there. It dances around that a bit. It, it's kind of hinted at. But w- what you get structurally from the plot, <sighs> he sees the Rodney King beating, and then after that, he gets all upset, and it's like he becomes woke. And after that, he doesn't want to be part of the white world, doesn't want the girls to be in the juniors' competitions. And it really the movie ends up giving the impression of like suddenly out of nowhere, he's like, oh, wait, I'm black and I have to push back against this. At that point in the movie, he starts using the leverage that he has that he now recognizes that he has. So the white community, the white establishment are telling him. The girls have to do juniors. You have to put them in juniors. That is the way it is done. And he's able to use his leverage to get coaching without having to do that. To get a white coach to conform to his plan. Right. And one of the big pieces of that plan is to get out of Compton. Right. Which has so far been really the main villain of the movie. So they get out of Compton. And you're like, OK, wow, he's got a white coach who's going to let him do his plan. Uh, everything is fine now. There's no more struggle. There's no more tension or conflict. They got out of Compton. Like everything is exactly what he wanted. And at that point, the tension starts to be about him being too controlling. He's making it about himself and. And yeah, he wants the girls to be kids. Suddenly their education matters, even though earlier it didn't matter, or at least they didn't really talk about it mattering. And um, he wants the girls to have an opportunity to just be kids and not be all about tennis, even though before they moved to Florida.
0: But also he moved them to Florida so that their whole life could be tennis. So you're like, even the idea of like, I made this change. Oh, this is a shift. I'm gonna learn. Like I'm gonna figure this out. Look at this mind. Solve these things.
1: No, it's no, not no, there. no. It's this, just this is the part of the movie where the the band, you know, starts infighting because they're taking too much drugs. This is that part of the behind the music. He's too controlling and he's too stubborn and he doesn't want to let Venus start competing, even though she feels she's ready. And uh, uh, Shane from The Walking Dead thinks she's ready. And, uh, and everyone thinks she's ready, but he still won't do it. He's just too stubborn. And um, this is when he gets the talking to from the wife, which is that pivotal moment, structurally speaking, it's that pivotal moment where somebody speaks truth to the protagonist and makes them realize where they've erred. And what she says to him is really interesting. She says... I mean, I cannot repeat it word for word, but basically um, he has always feared the world will see him as just another dumb Mm N-word. And so this is the truth that he has to confront is that all of the stuff he's been doing has been in an effort to try to not be perceived as just another dumb. mm -mm. Mm -hmm. And all of this, the kids, the kids need to be kids Every weird thing he's been putting his foot down about for the last 40 minutes of the movie-ish, uh, it's all been cover, you're supposed to understand, for for deeper issues. And, right. And uh, she does bring up, oh, you haven't really appreciated what I've done. And you're like, oh, God, I wish I could have appreciated that, at least as an audience member. Yes. Prior to yes. you were mentioning it, but Okay. Uh, And so he goes to Venus and he tells her that she can she can compete. And he tells her this whole story about his own father abandoning him in a moment of racist violence. Right. And so you're meant to understand that everything he's been doing has been out of fear. We're meant to understand that what he's been doing has been out of this drive to protect Venus on realizing that she's going to be the first black tennis champion and what that means and he doesn't know how to prepare her for that and he doesn't want to abandon her as his father did like this is 2 hours and 20 minutes into the movie and you are like given your first taste of any kind of actual motivation of what's going on inside this man's mind and it is the first mention of What it would mean, like what it would really actually mean, the potential consequences of a black woman becoming a tennis champion.
0: Well, and I'm reminded of one of the things uh, that I love about, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, they had this thing for a while in the New York Times a million years ago where they had filmmakers watch their favorite film. And Steven Soderbergh uh, watched All the President's Men. And he said the best thing about that movie is that when it came out, Watergate had just happened. Like everybody knows and yet it still has so much tension and the idea that like at this point, like he didn't, we know what happened, but what if we saw him not knowing what happened or Mm, accepting it or having these moments of fear, but there is, there is none of that. There are no stakes and unfortunately it falls into the category of the shitty, Sports memoirs that David Foster Wallace is like. Why do I keep buying these? Mm. Because there isn't enough distance so that you can really appreciate it. Right to appreciate that this was risk taking. This was huge risk taking. And at every moment, you don't understand the risks at all, at all, at
1: all. No, because it's an attempt to celebrate an accomplishment. It's an attempt to celebrate what he accomplished without actually giving him credit for what he did accomplish. Mm. By taking that stuff away, by taking away the feeling of risk, you take away the feeling of accomplishment. And, and it's a shame. It's a missed opportunity.
0: That's right. All right, listeners, did we get it right? Did it still resonate for you? <laughs>
1: Do you agree? Disagree? Did we forget to mention something? We always do want to hear your thoughts on uh, King Richard or any of the other Oscar-nominated and or Oscar-winning films and performances. Or on
0: inspirational sports movies.
1: Yes, any inspirational sports movies. Um, you can reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all of the socials as at
0: sauce podcast. If you want to jump into the conversation, uh, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash and we can get into it there.
1: Yes, all members of the Patreon get to join the Sauce Speakeasy, our Discord channel. And we could talk about all the stuff we just mentioned or whatever you feel like talking about. We love chatting with you guys.
0: If you want to reach me, you can find me at Maya Garantz, anywhere you are looking for Maya Garantses.
1: And I, Rebecca Cohen, am at Star on all the various platforms.
0: And we will see you soon.
1: Adios, amibas. Buzz.